Great, so if you've got that in front of you, 1 Samuel chapter 22, and we're going to read the whole thing. So David left Gath and escaped to the, to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All of those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered, and Saul was seated, spear in hand, under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah, with all his officials standing at his side. He said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give you all the fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. But Doeg, the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's official, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and all the men of his family who were the priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David? the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected in your household. Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing about this whole affair. But the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all of your family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests with its men and women, its children and infants, its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. But one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, named Abithar, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abithar, That day, when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. Well, if you have that in front of you, please don't close your Bible. Just keep it open. 
We're going to be diving in, and from the reading, you can probably tell there's a lot to unpack from this passage. Um, it was quite a surprise when I read it for the first time, uh, but we're going to we're going to jump straight in, and we're going to jump in with the we're going to start with the first five verses, verses one to five, and we're going to go straight into our first point. We see that God's King consistently calls. God's King David consistently calls on the Lord. Throughout 1 Samuel and the whole of David's life, we've seen that he has consistently called on the Lord's. And if we think back to chapter 16, it's been a couple of months, but if we can remember about that far, David is anointed as king, and he's the one whose heart is after God's own heart. And the battle between God's anointed king, David, and God's rejected king, King Saul, has been building over these past six chapters. David, who was a quiet shepherd's boy in a little backwater, just praising the Lord in the fields, he's now been anointed as God's chosen king. He's fought a giant, attacked the Philistines, been on the run from the king of Israel, and now we find him hiding in a cave. Saul has been trying to kill David all of the time trying to get the best of his human position as king, to make himself look more powerful. All the while, David knows that his God is much more powerful than the threat that is Saul. And throughout these past chapters, David has been seeking the Lord. And this chapter is no different. We see David has left Gath, and he's gone and hidden in a cave. But interestingly, here in the beginning chapter, we see in the opening verses, let's read uh, from verse 1. It says, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, they gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Do we see the kind of response that David is getting? These people are following him. And these are not the people who we would expect to be around a king. These certainly wouldn't be the people in Saul's throne room, but we see that David is not a normal king. He's God's king. And we see that the people who are surrounding him are in distress. They're in debt. They're discontent. These are the people who are drawn to God's king. But why would these people come to David? Well, we read on and we see that David takes his family and goes to his other enemy, Moab. He's been to Gath, an enemy, and now he's gone to Moab, another enemy. David is ticking off quite a few kings on his king's bingo sheet. He's gone to the king of Gath, the king of Moab, and of course, his old friend, the king of Israel, King Saul. But when he's there in Moab... He's seeking the Lord, calling on his name. He wants to know what God's plans are for him. He wants to know God's heart more and more. And at the beginning of verse 5, God speaks through his prophet to David, giving him instruction. It would have been so easy, wouldn't it, for David to become disheartened, discouraged, even to give up, maybe. He's been chased all over the land A king's ransom on his head, uh, nearly being killed countless times. 
This is all on one hand. On the other hand, he's God's anointed king, and he's the one whose heart is after God's own heart. When it all falls through, how much do we look to our own circumstances to determine our relationship with God's? Or do we rest on the promises of God's? As Josh explained last week, with his main point, he said, look to the Lord in all things. That was the theme of chapter 21. And if David looked to his own circumstances, it would have been so easy to say, yeah, stuff this. I'm going back to being a shepherd. Life was so much easier then before I did all of this. Is that what he does? No, of course not. He knows the promises of God. He knows that his God is a mighty, holy God. So he fixes his eyes, not on his own circumstances, but on the promises of the Lord. And he consistently calls on the Lord. For the most part of our chapter, the camera pans away from David and focuses on a few other characters. And this brings us to our next point. God's king causes contention. David is not directly in the picture for most of this chapter, but his actions are causing ripple effects throughout the enemies of the Lord's. So we have God's king causes contention, you want to put in brackets, amongst the enemies of the Lord's, from verses 6 to 14. And the curtain comes up on this scene, and we see Saul is throwing a big strop, a big baby hissy fit. And from all that we've seen of Saul, are we surprised? No, I wasn't when I read it. I just thought, fair enough, that is classic Saul. He sat under a tree, spear in hand, all his henchmen around. You can imagine the look on his face. David's been growing in popularity. Stories have been spreading about David. We read in the last chapter, it says this in verse 11. Saul has slain thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Isn't this the one they sing about in their dances? Saul is questioning his men and basically asking them, do you think David is better? Is David better for you? And the only reason that Saul can think that David might possibly be better is that David's going to give them things. Surely the only reason you side with David is verse 7. He'll give you all the fields and vineyards. He'll make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. Saul is jealous of David, worried about losing power. Doesn't it say something about life without God as Lord? Forever worried about losing power, money, friends, all these things. But with our powerful God as king of our lives, who are we to worry? Back in the story, we see Saul is worrying. The doubts are starting to build in his mind. Look with me, verse 8. Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. No one tells him anything, he's saying. Everyone's plotting against me, he says. You can imagine him having a big strop. Nobody's telling me anything. 
All these doubts racing in his head. Saul feels the power is slipping and the paranoia is building. But we get a new character on the scene and he's been hinted at in the previous chapter, but he plays a big role here in chapter 22. We see this in the last chapter. This is the hint we get of him. It says, Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. And here, Doeg gives information to Saul about what happened in the temple that we read about last week. David goes to Ahimelech and inquires of the Lord at the temple. And Ahimelech gives David some bread and Goliath's sword. And Saul is not happy about this. Verse 13, Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him. Saul sees the priest as being as needing to be loyal to him. When actually the ultimate loyalty lies with the Lord's, belongs to Yahweh. Himelech admits that what well, admits what he did, but he doesn't see it as wrong. He's just serving God's anointed king. This shows the contention that God's king is causing. He's not even in the picture. But God's king is hated. God's king is rejected. And hopefully that brings us to our third point this evening. Following God's king comes at a cost. From verses 16 to 23. So we've seen that Saul is very upset with David for, very upset with Ahimelech, sorry, for siding with David. So much so that he orders him killed, along with his whole family. He says to his guards in verse 16, But the king said, You will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. Verse 17, Then the king ordered the guards at his side, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. And here's the kicker. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. This is a turn up for the books, isn't it? David, clo- sorry, Saul's closest companions, the ones meant to be most loyal to him, are the final set of people to reject him. The people have rejected him, the priests have rejected him, and now the guards turn against him. Everyone has rejected Saul, apart from one. Doeg the Edomite is still flying the flag for Team Saul. He steps up to the plate and he does what Saul commands. Doeg strikes down all 85 priests. That's not quite enough. He goes on and he slaughters the whole village. This is meant to be shocking for us. We're meant to be surprised by it. But we need to remember the sovereignty of God and realize that this is all within his plan. God was not surprised when Doeg did this. He wasn't like, oh my goodness, Doeg, what have you done? Oh, I can't believe you've done that. This was all in God's plan. If we look back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, you can turn there if you want. In verse 30, we see this was prophesied before it even happened. 
Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house, so that no one in it will reach old age. And you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done in Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength. And here we go. All your descendants will die in the prime of their life. This is what happens, isn't it? We see that God uses people who are his enemies to fulfill his purposes. God uses the circumstances that seem so terrible to fulfill his eternal purposes. But we see that the story doesn't end there. Ahimelech's son escapes and flees to David and tells him all that has happened. Verse 23 ties up the theme for this chapter. Look down with me. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. How can he be sure? How can he be sure? The man that is trying to kill you is trying to kill me too, he says. But he's confident in the Lord. David is confident in the Lord. He's trusting in the Lord Almighty to protect and save But we do see that through this last section that following God's king comes at a cost. All of those priests, Ahimelech included, was killed for following God's king. <clears throat> Similarly, we are called to follow God's king. Not David, but Jesus. <coughs> and similarly, we can apply the points for this passage to Jesus. God's king consistently calls. We see that through the life of Jesus, he's consistently in prayer, seeking the will of the Father. God's God's king causes contention. We see this between Jesus and culture, Jesus and the Pharisees. And most importantly, we see that following God's king comes at a cost. As Christians, we trust in a God who, who causes contention. We read this in Matthew 10, 22. Jesus says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is the king we follow. The glorious, crucified Lord Jesus. And we see the same emphasis at the end of the the chapter in verse 23. We can see how this could have been said by Jesus. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. Stay with the king. Don't be afraid. Yes, persecution will come. Whether it's in the office or in the classroom or the cafe or the home, wherever Jesus is hated. Sticking up for Jesus and a lifestyle that is so countercultural can cause contention. But isn't that just what Jesus did? Isn't that what Jesus commands us to do? 
The people who hate us hate us because of Jesus. But he says, you will be safe with me. The Lord Jesus is so much greater than these human powers. So stay close to Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Yes, it comes at a cost, but isn't the reward so much greater? Eternity with Jesus is the reward. Where the suffering and the pain and death of this life we wiped away and we'll be left adoring Jesus for an eternity. Doesn't that excite you this evening? Isn't it worth giving everything to follow this king? I'm going to pray. I have some questions around our tables. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to be crucified on a criminal's cross so that we may be set free from sin. Lord, I pray that we would not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus, that we would follow him, stay close to him, even though he is hated and we are hated for following him. May we put our trust in you and rejoice in the eternity that is to come. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We've got some questions around our tables. <clears throat> I'm just going to read them out. Uh, in what practical ways can we seek the Lord's in every situation? And how can we apply God using his enemies for his purposes to today's culture? And how can we bear the cost of following Jesus this week? And if you've got extra time, you can read Psalm 52, which David is describing this situation and you can discuss David's view of Doeg, the Edomite. So have some time on your tables to discuss these questions.